0: You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Tuesday to you, and thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day. Today on the podcast, it is herd Mentality, the weekly episode where you take control of our discussion and send in your questions, comments, takes, whatever you have regarding the Bills, and I respond to them here on the show, and so we have a ton of good stuff to get to. Let's get started. First one comes from Adam, who says, since it's officially draft season, I thought I'd ask about a possible move up for the Bills in the draft. I've seen a few mock drafts where the Bills trade up for one of the Giants' top two picks, It would cost the Bills a lot of draft capital, including next year's first pick, but would you be in favor of the Bills trading up to five or seven? If so, who would you be targeting at that spot? Go Bills. So fundamentally, no, I would not be in favor of this type of a trade where you're going to part with significant assets to move from 25 to seven or from 25 to five. At my core, in terms of my draft philosophy, I really don't believe in trading up in the first round at all unless it's for a quarterback and you don't have a quarterback. And so this would not be in my wheelhouse of things that I would do. Now, if the Bills were to do this and make this type of a move, I would want it to be for Aiden Hutchinson, the defensive end from Michigan, who I think is very clearly the best pass rusher in this class. I think he has the upside to be as good as the Bosa brothers. And so if the Bills made this trade, I would hope they could get up and also draft Aiden Hutchinson. But fundamentally, I just wouldn't do it. The next one today comes from Ryan, who says, I've been keeping up with Giants press conferences and news items, and I'm interested in your insight on the effect of losing Joe Shane when it comes to scouting in the draft. Shane was Bean's right-hand man, and any draft media you saw from the Bills, that almost always had both of them in the picture. I assume Shane was scouting and making a big board throughout the process, so how does this affect how we approach the draft? Is there any worry about the Giants possibly eyeing Bills targets, or is there enough diversity in team needs and time until the draft to develop more in-depth big boards that, is, that this is a negligible thing? So this is a good question, Ryan, and I will tell you that I recently saw Brandon Bean at Senior Bowl practices on the field, and who was standing next to him? Joe Shane. So even though they are no longer working for the same team, there is a relationship there that I expect to exist indefinitely. So I just think this is all part of the deal. Teams lose front office members. They go to other teams, and it's just an inevitable part of the process that they are going to have your scouting intel. Where I think you can maybe exhale a little bit is that, like you said, the Giants and Bills are uniquely different teams with uniquely different needs. And from a defensive perspective, schematically, they are completely different. I mean, they're going to run a Wink-Martindale offense there in New York that is blitz-heavy and man coverage-heavy. That's the opposite of the Bills' defense. And so I think there are enough differences that I wouldn't be overly concerned. And obviously the needs are are different as well. But yes, Joe Shane this year will have the benefit of a lot of scouting intel from the Buffalo Bills side of things. The next one comes from Zach who says, loved your take on how the Bills D-line is the main difference between us and the Super Bowl teams. This failure by our D-line is doubly disappointing given what we have invested into the line. That being said, I have two questions. Number one, With all the talk of how Aaron Cromer might help the O-line, should more attention be on Eric Washington and his failure to get production out of the resources we have at D-line? Would you like to see a change made? I don't expect one, but it seems like a valid thing to wonder about. Zach, I think it's fair to bring this up. I think we can look at the defensive line investments and not be satisfied with the production. And so that does go back to the coaching piece. Is Eric Washington doing a great job of maximizing the talent? And it's funny because after his first season on the team, there was questions about this, and Sean McDermott called it a foundational year for Eric Washington to come in and set expectations. All right, well, things really didn't change. So I think it's fair to bring Eric Washington into the spotlight and question whether or not he's doing a good enough job maximizing this talent. I also agree with you that I don't expect to change. It really feels like Sean McDermott is a big fan of Eric Washington based on the way he talks about him. And I wouldn't expect this to change at all in the upcoming future. The next one from Zach was what happened to AJ Epinesa from the preseason game against the bears to his dominant performance against the dolphins in week two early on. This guy looked like the answer we were hoping for at defensive end. After that, he mostly no-showed the rest of the year. Any insight into why he didn't build on his momentum and what we can expect moving forward? So at some point, I'll probably have a very in-depth conversation about A.J. Epinesa. But at this point, I would agree with you in that there were some really exciting flashes earlier this year that really didn't materialize into consistent production or opportunity. So I remain very interested in Epinesa, and I'm hopeful for him in year three and remember, year three is the year where we've seen so many different Bills players take that big step forward, and hopefully Epinesa falls right into line next year. But ultimately, I think he got caught up in a numbers game where between Hughes and Addison and Rousseau, those snaps were going to those guys, and then it was a little bit of Epinesa, a little bit of Boogie Basham, a little bit of Fae Obata. And so I think opportunity played into Epenesa's impact as much as anything this year, and I'm hopeful that he can really become a meaningful piece of this defense starting in 2022. Football might be over this season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props, to where the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. Bet Online remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. Bet Online is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds right to the Olympics. So head on over to the website and sign up today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action because Bet Online is where the game starts. The next one today comes from Mark, who says. I just finished listening to your podcast comparing our D line to the Bengals and Rams. Really appreciate the deep dive there. Great insight. I have been questioning this for some time and I wanted to get your take. Do we over rotate our D line? I understand the importance of being fresh, but also understand the importance of having your best four players on the field for the majority of the snaps. Do you think that this may be a product of, particularly at defensive end, having solid players but not great players? so no one commands 70 to 80% of the snaps. Yes, I do. I do think that that is a part of it. Sean McDermott throughout his career, despite being a rotation-heavy defensive line guy, when he's got stud players, they play. Let's go back to his time at Carolina. In 2016, Kawan Short played 73% of the snaps. Star Tulele played 66%. And those were... Premier players for him back in 2016. In 2015, Kwan Short, 70% of the snaps. In 2014, Charles Johnson, 76% of the snaps. 2013, Greg Hardy, 86%. Charles Johnson, 71%. Starhead, 60%. In 2012, Greg Hardy, 71%. Charles Johnson, 71%. DeWan Edwards, 67%. So when McDermott's had the talent that demands that type of snap count, he's given it to them. And hopefully that winds up being the case moving forward for guys like Ed Oliver and Greg Russo. But I think because there hasn't been any real superstar talent on the defensive line during his time in Buffalo, that they've clinged more to the idea that if we have fresh bodies, it'll help overcome that, hey, maybe we don't have one or two real standout players. The next one comes from Nicole, who says, What are your thoughts on Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt from Georgia? I think Jordan Davis will go too early in the draft for the Bills to have a shot at him, but Devontae will potentially be available. Do you like either of them for the Bills? Thank you and go Bills. So Nicole is referencing two standout defensive linemen from the Georgia Bulldogs. Jordan Davis, who's like 350 pounds, massive dude, and then Devontae Wyatt, who is, like 6'3", 3'15", a little bit more of a versatile player. So here's my thoughts on them. For Devontae Wyatt, great pick at 25. Versatile player, I think he can play the one and the three, and he would be a nice answer alongside of Ed Oliver. Good pass rush ability, good run-stopping ability. As for Jordan Davis, obviously I like him as a football player, but I will always wonder about that value. I mean, this is a 350-pound run-stopper and there are other big bodied nose tackles to be had later in this draft. And so when you look at the opportunity cost of taking Jordan Davis instead of a different player that brings more to your football team other than run stuffing ability and you know obviously I think he's going to be important on passing downs because he can push the pocket and you can really play off of him a little bit. So I don't think he's a guy that can't help you on passing downs. But I would take a different nose tackle later in the draft, maybe Travis Jones on day two from UConn or uh, Noah Ellis from Idaho later on day three or something like that. There's going to be players at nose that I'm going to like at other spots in the draft and prefer to use that first round pick on a different player. So that's kind of my thoughts on Devontae Wyatt and Jordan Davis. Next one comes from Aaron who says, how do you guys over there feel about giving up a home game to be played in Europe? The Bills Mafia in the UK is definitely growing, and we'd all love to see the Bills here. But what's the view from over the pond? Is it too much of a disadvantage losing a home game when, as we've seen this season, one game can make all the difference in exchange for a bit of revenue? Also, would you make the trip if the Bills did play in Europe? We can't do wings, but we'd show you a thing or two about drinking. Would love to get your thoughts P.S. It's getting really tiring having to watch the Jags every year. Good question here, and if anyone's listened to this podcast for any length of time, you know that I love the growth of the NFL in Europe and other parts of the globe. Football is an amazing game that I want as many people to be able to experience as possible, and I cherish how many different people from across the globe I get to interact with only because of the Buffalo Bills. No other reason. People I would never talk to or connect with, I get to talk with and connect with because of the Buffalo Bills, and I love every bit of that. And I would be very excited for European Bills fans to get a chance to see the team play. But also, of course, I would prefer it to be a Bills road game. And so I think you can have your cake and eat it too, where you can get the Bills overseas but also not having to give up a home game. So if it had to happen, I would prefer it to be in a year where the Bills have nine home games and not a year like next year when it's eight. So if it has to be a Bills home game, let's do it in a year where they have nine, but hopefully the Bills can play overseas and it just be a regular road game for them. As for if I would go, I'd think about it, but obviously I have a lot more opportunity to see the bills play in the United States and not have to travel as far. If I'm going to go to Europe, I'd rather go and visit and not have to complicate my trip by dealing with the Buffalo bills game. To be honest with you, that's how, that's how I feel about it. I'd love to go to Europe on a week where the bills weren't playing and go to a game and, you know, do touristy things and, uh, enjoy football across the pond in that way. But, um, certainly be something I'd think about. That that sounds like it would be a lot of fun, especially because I know that it would draw out the European Bills fans and i get a chance to hang out with you guys. So look, there's a lot of variables in play. I'm a little undecided at this point. The next one today comes from Bill who says, Hey Joe, longtime listener, first-time question asker. So I just listened to the wide receiver wrap-up. I like the point about Bean bringing in veterans to help Josh out with his development. So my question is now that, Josh has arrived as that guy. Do you think it's time to maybe start taking some chances on wide receivers in earlier rounds? If so, what guys do you like in the earlier rounds this year? So if the bills do pick a wide receiver in the first round, I would want for it to be Jamison Williams from Alabama. I think he would be perfect for this offense. And to me, he's clearly the best wide receiver in the draft and In normal circumstances, he would not be available at pick 25. He tore his ACL late in the season, and so there's a good chance he won't be ready to start his rookie season. But to me, he'd be worth waiting for because he, in a typical year, would have no business being available at 25. And so if he falls, pull the trigger. That's the type of weapon that is perfect for this offense in terms of yards after catchability, Vertical receiving skills, speed all together. I mean, this guy is an alpha. I love his game. So if he's there at twenty-five, turn in the card. Be patient, and you will have a player that you have no business having. As for other early-round guys that I like, Jahan Dotson from Penn State, Chris Alave from Ohio State, Traylon Burks from Arkansas, David Bell from Purdue. I like all of these players, but to me, the value for wide receivers, has been on day two. I'm going to give you a list of players and understand that all of these players were day two picks. Michael Pittman, Gabriel Davis, A.J. Brown, Debo Samuel, D.K. Metcalf, Deontay Johnson, Terry McLaurin, Michael Gallup, Michael Thomas, Cortland Sutton, Cooper Cup, Chris Godwin. I mean, that was literally a who's who of the top receivers in the NFL today. They're not getting picked in the first round. And so I know that this year it was a little bit different where you saw Jalen Waddell set the rookie record for receptions and obviously Jamar Chase had a crazy good year. But for the most part, these first-round wide receivers aren't really panning out like you expect them to. I know Justin Jefferson was obviously a great pick for the Vikings, but for every one of those, there are some disappointing guys that have not come in and made close to the impact of those players on day two. and so. My Bills receiver philosophy in the draft, if Jamison Williams is there at 25, turn in the card. If not, I would wait, and I'd wait until the third or the fourth round and look at players like Calvin Austin from Memphis or Khalil Shakur from Boise State. I think there's going to be good value in the middle rounds for the Bills at wide receiver. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questions like is your Odyssey an LX or an EX and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and right in your pocket. Save time and save money when using Rock Auto. Why would you choose to spend 30% even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or a car dealership. They have everything you could need. Brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Make sure you write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. They have amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need over at rockauto.com. The next one today comes from Michael who says, my question is around mock drafts. When you complete a mock draft, is it a predictive choice? This is what I think Brandon Bean will do or a recommendation. This is what I would do if I were Brandon Bean. I feel like mocks are done in both directions. So I was wondering what you do and what you think the majority of pundits do. Well, I think there's a little bit of both and I know that that's a boring answer, but I think that mock drafts should be treated as thought exercises. And for me, I try to consider each team's most pressing needs and how the players available stack up and make a logical decision that would fit that team. And it's really all about presenting scenarios. Nobody knows today what's going to happen in the draft. Now, we'll get more of a picture as we get closer to it, But as of right now, we are just presenting logical scenarios. We haven't even started free agency. The needs of these teams will be completely different in two months than they are right now. And so it is a thought exercise that the intent should be to present a scenario. Now, when I get to that last mock draft, that one, the week of the draft, that is when I'm truly trying to be predictive. But for now, it's just blended ideas of, What I would do, what I think the team will do, considering needs, consider the board, considering team fits, and try to put together a logical scenario. And that's really all it is, which is amazing to me how mad people get over mock drafts. You would not believe the things people say to me because they don't like the player I projected their team to get in the first round in a mock draft in February. It's pretty unreal. So hopefully that answers the question, and um, it's definitely a little bit of both. And again, it's all about presenting logical scenarios. Next one comes from Don, who says, You and Nate had some great points on the offensive line on the Monday pod. With the emergence of Ryan Bates and assuming John Feliciano is not on the team and Daryl Williams is restructured to a guard level with a bonus whenever he plays tackle, Is offensive guard Andrew Norwell still on the Bills' wish list? It's a good question, Don, and I wouldn't hate it. Obviously, Norwell has been a long-term steady starter in the NFL. Um, I would wonder about who starts because in this scenario, Ryan Bates is back, Darrell Williams is back, and those would be your starters. And so unless you think Andrew Norwell is a, clear upgrade to Ryan Bates or Darrell Williams and there is a cost benefit to it, You know, I think that's where I would ask some questions. But if the Bills wanted to go in a different direction at guard, you'd have to think that Andrew Norwell would be high on the Bills' wish list. Next one comes from John who says, I hope you and the family are doing well. As I've mentioned, I live in Chicago and had a conversation with Bears fans here. The 25th pick for Khalil Mack. Who says no? Would you do it if you're Bean? I would absolutely do this if I were Brandon Bean. If the money works out. That's the thing. The 25th pick for Khalil Mack, to me, makes a lot of sense. Does it make a lot of sense from a contract absorption perspective? Can you make it work? What do you have to do to make it work? Those are the questions I need the answer to Because in a vacuum, pick 25 for Khalil Mack? Heck yes. Especially when I'm going to sit here and project defensive linemen to the Bills all draft season long. And you get a guy in Khalil Mack that's a proven commodity? That'd be a home run if the money works out. The next one today comes from Kyle who says, After the game ended, I saw a ton of Bengals fans furious questioning why Joe Mixon wasn't in on the 3rd and 1 before the game-ending 4th down play. It reminded me a lot of our fan base after the Chiefs game. Feels like if you're a great team that doesn't win the Super Bowl, your season ends with a lot of anger directed at coaching decisions that didn't work out in the biggest moments. We talk a lot about the growth players make on the field so much because it's easier to quantify. But growth from the coaches who learn from their mistakes is arguably just as important to a football team's success. I'm feeling super excited moving into the offseason because I do believe the head coach is as hungry to bring a Lombardi to Buffalo as the quarterback is. Go Bills. Kyle, I think this is a great point. And I understand why Bengals fans are furious. That was a third and one. Joe Mixon, your $12 million per year running back, wasn't on the field. That was an egregious decision. Just like some of the sequences in the Bills' Chiefs' loss, where they took the ball out of Josh Allen's hand. And even in that game that the Chiefs won against the Bills, they took the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands a couple of times. So coaches make mistakes. And the thing about coaching mistakes is that they're so easy to question. And results in the NFL are pretty binary, right? Like you either did something and it worked or it didn't. And when it didn't, everything comes into question when it doesn't great play. And so it's a tough it's a tough role if you're a coach. But I really do appreciate you bringing this up Kyle because it's a good reminder that literally one team ends the season happy. I've said this a bazillion times on this podcast. One team. That's it. Bengals fans aren't happy today. How about Bucks fans? How about Packers fans? How about us? How about all the teams that didn't make the playoffs? One team. The Los Angeles Rams ended their season happy this year. So it's good perspective to have, and uh, I appreciate you bringing this up because having that broad scope of the NFL and an understanding of what's going on across the league and how other fans are responding to things really helps you process a lot of the things that are happening with the Bills And how that energy can be very similar across a lot of teams, pretty much every team. And it should be able to help us process things that happen with the Bills even better. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. Tomorrow, Brother Bill is on the podcast. We are going to catch up with him and talk about what was a great season for him and the Brother Bill brand. And we also have some really fun hypothetical stuff that we're going to dive into. regarding Bills players, so you won't want to miss that. And then on Thursday and Friday this week, we are going to start the performance review series on the defensive side of the football, and we're going to look at the interior defensive line and the defensive ends. And we know there's a lot to talk about with those young players and a lot of those veterans, and so we're going to unpack all of it here for you later in the week. So don't miss it. Make sure you're subscribed. Would love it if you took a second to rate, review, and share the podcast. Have a great rest of your day, and I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.